0: Coming up next on the Wet Fly Swing Podcast.
1: You know, think about when you see those bullets hitting that ballistic gel and the amount of movement that it has in that energy transfer to stop it. That's what's happening to those, those animals with a bullet. Now, an arrow, what you're doing is you're trying to slice through and cut and they die from blood loss, not from trauma. That was Adam
0: Miller taking us into the differences between a bullet and an arrow. Bow hunting 101, whitetail, and the world's worst bow hunter today on the swing.
1: Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today.
0: Quick and easy way to connect with us on uh, social media is Wet Fly Swing Instagram, Facebook. Uh, we've got some other events coming up this year so if you want to follow either on facebook or instagram you'll get updated when we get that next uh, either live event we have going or the giveaway or anything else we have with trips so stay tuned there today's episode is sponsored by drifthook who has pre-packed fly assortments for every stage of your fly fishing journey each kit is organized by species and includes instructional videos easy to follow guides their fly shop quality flies are hand tied and inspected before being packed in these careful, durable packs. And I can tell you these are sweet little fly boxes. Check them out right now. Uh, Drifthook, wetflyswing.com slash D-R-I-F-T-H-O-O-K. Drifthook. Today's episode is sponsored by Dalton at uh, Country Financial, who thrives on helping families and community members through the power of education and proper insurance coverage. The unexpected will happen, so it's always best to make sure your assets and life are protected. You can check out Dalton right now at wetflyswing.com slash country and make sure you are protected today. Adam Miller is here today to take us through the steps of getting started in bow hunting. We find out uh, why, like fly fishing, you don't have to necessarily spend a ton of money. You don't have to spend $1,000, $2,000 on a bow to get started. He talks about that, some of the gear misconceptions out there and really... Gives us his number one uh, tip for getting started, and it's not too different from uh, really what we talk about with fly shops. And then we dig into some resources, some people that you should be following, and you can check out to take this conversation further. So, so I think the feel of overwhelm is going to be lightened today. If you're uh, if you've never done any bow hunting and really wanted to get into it, that's that's the goal here today. So, so without further ado, here we go. Adam Miller from bowhunterchroniclespodcast.com. dot com.
1: How's it going, Adam? It's going good. Good to be in the end of November. So,
0: yeah. How are things looking out there? It's uh, it's hunting season, right? That's the cool thing about this time of year. Are
1: you you've uh, you've been out there a little bit. Oh yeah. I mean, I've probably sat twenty five times this year or so. Um, actually, I got down out of the tree. I had another call at nine, and then um, I actually had all my podcasting stuff in the truck. Um, depending on how the day went or if I shot anything. Um, I was just going to do it right from the vehicle, so. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, so you got all your stuff. You're pretty much the
0: podcast. If you're not hunting, the podcast, is that the thing you spend your time, like, on, uh, behind the computer
1: on? Uh, Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, I have a full-time job and uh, podcast. We've been podcasting since uh, January of 2018 is when we launched our first episode and uh we miss maybe i think the first year we did like 32 36 podcasts but since then we've maybe missed one or two weeks um per year like uh two weeks ago i was down in ohio hunting and uh we had no service we had no anything um i would have pod i would have uh published a podcast had i had internet service yep. but um you know just didn't work and hunting comes before podcasting. This is It, it, it yeah. isn't <laughs> lip service, you know, it, it's, it's what we do. And, and that's kind of why we started the podcast is, um, we were doing this anyways, you know, talking, all we do is talk hunting, talk gear, uh, hunt all the time. And, you know, the, it's funny because like I bill myself as the world's worst bow hunter. So, At that time, there was no podcast out there about people not killing anything, Um, so it was, it it was cool. It was fun, and and that's kind of how we've kind of built everything around uh, the learning aspect of it instead of the I'm the expert and uh, uh, I'm I'm up on my high horse. That's perfect.
0: So basically, you if you people go back in your archives to the start, will they hear somebody who's a complete beginner and is uh, you know just struggling to get an animal that sort of thing?
1: Uh, not necessarily. I mean, you know, it's real disingenuous when you do talk to people who are brand new and they're like, Oh, and, and, you know, through our Patreon and stuff like that, when we really interact with people, I feel like the first thing that always comes out is like, Hey man, I'm going to give you a run for your money on the world's worst bow hunter. Um, but like I say, I I feel like it's really disarming, right? So it 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 isn't like you, you have to listen to me because I know what I'm doing. I mean, at the end of the day, the animals get a say and there's you know, for all the people that are on podcasts or on TV shows or, or talk, there's, there's a dude in a flannel shirt and jeans at the hardware store that's killed more deer or bigger deer than, than everybody. Um, and he just isn't out there talking to everybody about it. So, um, I think where you get your information, um, is, is really important and how they come across. Um, and so that was the first thing that I wanted to do was to not come across as like Mr. Know-it-all you know
0: I love that I love that yeah and if we could think of a title for this one I was kind of thinking like something basic like bow hunter for beginners but but the world's worst bow hunter is a way better title you know what i mean like people are going to resonate with that way more because it's just like oh okay yeah they, it disarms them they're like okay this this person at least you know even if he's joking right it it sounds good
1: well yeah and and that's the thing is like you know i i like in i've said it on a bunch of podcasts but so i think of Deer hunting, and I, it, I've been told by other people, and I don't, th- I don't think this, but I, I can definitely see how it gets there. Is hunting is a jealous man's sport, you know? Like there's the must be nice or why me, you know? How come he always mm. gets to shoot a buck and all this stuff, and it, it ends up being like the time that you put into it. But I liken it to like bucks versus boats. Like you could spend, you know, fifty thousand dollars on a nice fishing boat or for your. Um, yeah. Listeners, maybe a drift boat, you know? Yeah. And then somebody pulls up with a $100,000 boat. And when you get into power boats, you know, you get into, you could buy the biggest boat in the world and then somebody pulls up next to you in a yacht. It's like, you know, <laughs> you, you have to kind of understand like where you're at, what your skill level is, um, and the time that you put in. And it's kind of like, you know, some people have a lot of money, but they don't have a lot of time. Some people have a lot of time, but they don't have a lot of money. So yeah. you can put in all the time in the world and get on these deer and everything but if you work a full-time job have a family all this stuff like you have to understand that you know sacrifices have to be made somewhere right yeah yeah you're right no it's a good
0: take and we we just had uh stealth craft boats i think uh, might be up near your neck of the woods and he broke down you know what i mean like that's a that's a nice boat right they they do all sorts of things up there and and yeah, boats aren't cheap these days. So it's, uh, but that is a good take on on the, I love that. Um, well, let, let's jump back really quick because I like to hear a little bit of your story on bow hunting. You know, we're going to dig into like bow hunting for beginners, kind of like I said, but I want to hear, you know, just like on your journey, have you been doing this your whole life? how did you first get into bow hunting?
1: Yeah. I mean, my, my dad bow hunted, but like just as a pastime, like, just as something maybe to get in the woods an extra weekend or get out of the house. Yep. Um, you know, in the time before I started like seriously bow hunting, um, I can remember, you know, a handful of deer that he killed with a bow, probably four deer in 18 years, you know? Um, and so, but I did get like, so when I was five years old, I got a compound bow in my Easter basket like a real
0: bow, like a bow that you could kill something with.
1: Uh, well, I mean not for a 5-year-old, but it wasn't like a it wasn't a toy. Yeah, it didn't have the sharp didn't have yeah, no broadheads or anything, but gotcha. it wasn't <laughs> a, it wasn't a toy. It was like the yeah. the next step up. And then You know, I shot that bow, you know, for a while. I mean, and just to put things in perspective, like when I was eight, I got a BB gun. When I was 10 for Christmas, we got 12 gauge shotgun. So yeah, like we, you had to be, you had to be 12 to, to small game hunt or bow hunt in Michigan. Oh, okay. And so that's, you know, for my 12th birthday, I got a, a real, um, compound bow and my birthday's in July. October 1st is the opener and so shot that bull all summer and it was you know pie plate accuracy uh, that was that was good enough if you could hit a paper plate at 20 yards and you know sometimes hit the center of it like that was that was good enough at that time and we're talking you know mid 90s and went hunting and you know Michigan deer hunting culture is. You know, it was for the longest time, the rifle hunting, the deer camp, the orange army, Mm -hmm. um, all that stuff and very rich hunting tradition. Um, and my family has a hunting camp up. It's eight hours. It's eight hour drive from where I live, but in Michigan's upper peninsula. And so we we got 240 acres up there. And so, um, my, you know, that was everybody's week off was for rifle season. So, Bow hunting was definitely, a on the back burner, but the first opportunity I got to bow hunt, I mean, I went out and, you know, Michigan at that time was, you know, the, the culture was at least for 90% of the people was get a bag of carrots. You go out there, you throw a oh, wow. bag of carrots out and the deer come, come in and you shoot them. <laughs> oh, or, that's right. In my case, Shoot at them, like so that my my first deer hunt I had deer came in right to the bait pile, and they were like fifteen yards away, Amazing. and I was like, God. they're too far away, oh wow,
0: was that legal the carrot thing,
1: oh yeah, yeah, yeah oh, wow, so yeah, can you still do that do people still do that not in the in lower Michigan, up in the upper peninsula, you can um, and so in different states, you know you'll see the corn feeders, you'll see mm. um all that stuff. And we've definitely, um, gotten away from that in, in our hunting. Um, but at that time that was, that was what it was. And, you know, if you're 12 years old and that's all you ever know, um, you know, that's, that's what it is. But I shot and missed this deer that was directly underneath my tree stand. Cause then it was close enough. <laughs> it's just like, you know, through your 12 year old mind, like yeah. what I was thinking now, um, it's just, amusing to me um but i hunted from from 12 until um i think i killed my first deer with a bow when i was about 19 or 20 um you know saw lots of deer missed lots of deer yeah you know had all sorts of encounters but uh what really changed is um i met my wife started dating my wife when i was 18 and i told her dad that i had bow hunted and i mean i walked into their room and he in into the they have a two stall garage and one of the stalls is made into a family room yeah and uh it was like walking into ace ventura's room of death they're like and that oh, one, really he, and it was like wow. you know there's just deer heads and antlers and fish and turkeys and everything on the wall that is cool
0: man that must have felt pretty good to walk in and realize like wow you're your father-in-law now is this, that's pretty cool.
1: Well, I mean, he, so he walks down and he does the, you know, the dad thing. You know, his daughter's a teenager and I'm the new boy. And yeah. he's like, oh, yeah, how's it going? You know, And I said, good. You know, I said, do you kill all these? And he said, yeah. I said, with a gun or a bow? He said, well, most of them with a bow. He said, do you, huh? I said, yeah, we got 240 acres in the UP. He said, welcome to the family. And, you nice. know, from then on, you know, we've been, we've been, good friends. And he's, he's taught me a lot. He's on the podcast quite a bit. Oh, cool. um, and he's a great um, personality. Uh, he's hilarious. And, huh. you know, he's, he's done everything. And, you know, as far as like the public land, bow hunting um, circuit, it seems like. And uh, so I learned a lot from him. And then going back through this, you know, a lot of the stuff that he was doing way back when and stuff that he was showing me um, is a lot of the stuff that these high level guys are doing now um they just do it just a little bit differently they just use it to target big animals instead of any animal so yeah i gotcha wow that's pretty cool so you're
0: so you get into it and you're you know basically the family both sides kind of have it even more on your the other side well, when does it become like for you, like the addiction, it's, you know what I mean? Like, it sounds like you've been in that for a while. Was that it? Was that the turning point when you're, you started hunting with your father-in-law?
1: Uh, kind of. I mean, so I was also like, uh, when I was 18, As soon as I graduated high school, I was in the, I joined the Marine reserves. And so, you know, you shoot open at that time, cause this is long ago, right. Um, with open sights on a rifle and you're shooting 500 meters And you're hitting targets, 250 meters standing or whatever. Um, so when I go out with a high powered rifle with a scope and I'm shooting does at 15 yards or 20 yards or something, um, and we never buck hunted, it was like, you know, somebody would always get a buck, but it wasn't, we weren't targeting bucks specifically. We were just hunting deer, um, before like my father-in-law right and so it was just it was just too easy and i don't want to like say that in like an arrogant way but if it, we were in at that time before like some of the diseases and wolves and stuff like that oh, right where our pro- where our property is in the up it was the highest deer density in the state of michigan so it She's... wasn't a big deal to go out and see deer and they gave away doperments like it was you yep. know you could buy one she, a day whatever. until they were gone oh so, wow you went out there and you shot your deer and and that was a that's a real big like sticking point here in Michigan like we're a two buck state and um we're getting up on gun season and there's different hunters there's trophy hunters there's guys that hunt for food and meat yep. and then there's like this faction of hunters and i think you probably be hard pressed to find someone in Michigan who didn't think that there was guys out there that they just wanted to go out there and shoot their buck and have a successful season, which to an extent there's nothing wrong with that, but they go out there and they shoot the first thing that has antlers and then they drink beer and have a deer camp for it. And, and so like it wasn't a really big deal to just go out and just see a deer. You had a tag where you could shoot anything and, and shoot one. At a hundred yards, 50 yards, 10 yards, you know? So the addiction came from like getting them that close and then like the difficulty. so like you can have everything go a hundred percent perfectly and still screw it up with a bow. Like they're that close. And so I think any deer that you kill with a bow is a trophy. It's, it's so much more fulfilling um, to me And, I mean, there's nothing better than, you know, when you shoot a good deer um, and then they just walk over and you get to watch them drop or you get to see them die, like, when they don't even, like, know what happened. Like, yeah, that's what's addicting, I think. Right, right. And And you're
0: right there. And that's the cool thing I always think about. You know, just be, you're so, like you said, as that young kid, you're so close to the animals. I've been close to some elk a few times, you know, herds. And you're just, man, when you're that close and you can just see them, right, like you feel them and everything, you know what I mean? And then you're, you know, and then you have an option to, you know, opportunity to take the animal. That's a quite an experience. Different from, you know, some of times we're out here hunting with a rifle. You're shooting long shots, right? You never even really, you see the animal, but it's so far away, you know, you're not really feeling it as much. I mean, you always appreciate, obviously, what you do. Um, no, this is, this is really cool. I love that you took us down that path, and we'll think like the deer camp, right, because we have the same thing out here, and uh, and it's cool to hear. I, I want to get into a little bit on, like, beginner, you know, kind of the 101 thing, and I think you do some good education there. So there's people, we have quite a big, big audience up in your neck of the woods, you know, kind of all that area of Michigan. In fact, I'm going to be in Ohio in a couple weeks uh, chasing some steelheads, so it's uh it's a cool area and I'm excited to get out there, but talk about that. When somebody comes to you and they say, Hey, I've been rifle hunting. I've been doing this for my whole life. I I've never bow hunted. What is the first step to somebody getting started? Well, I mean,
1: I think you have to look at somebody's like motivation. Um, one of the things we deal with, and you'd mentioned elk hunting and think elk hunting is the same rabbit hole. Um, but you end up like in this this gear scenario, right? Where the marketing is so good for all of this equipment. And so there's like, it, it would seem that there's this huge barrier of entry that you need to have this, you need to have this, you need to have this, you know, you need to have a stand. Now it's saddles, you know, you need this pack, you need this camo, you need all this stuff. And um, actually we kind of did a podcast on this a couple of, couple of weeks ago, kind of not necessarily from that, but, you know, I have all the gear known to man and, you know, my father-in-law did two forever. And I hunted the first, probably five sits this year, um, on the ground. Um, mm-hmm. I hunted from the ground and, uh, got within bowl range of deer. And I think, you could you could do that. Uh, that's where I would point somebody is to learn how to deer hunt without having to be elevated or whatever, or set yourself a budget and say, okay, what's my budget? And then what do I actually need? Well, you actually need a bow. You need arrows, rod heads, a quiver, a sight, a release. And then once you've got that, You know, go shoot the hell out of that bow until you're breaking knocks on arrows, you know, at 20 yards or go to your local range and see, you know, get comfortable shooting out to 50, 60 yards. And not to say that you're going to kill an animal at 50, 60 yards, but if you're doing that same, you know, softball size group at 50, 60 yards.
0: Yeah, it's pretty good.
1: 10, 15, 20 is a chip shot the target yeah. is so much bigger um and, and yep. you know that's where that's where I would start, but I think it can be a hundred percent overwhelming um so and and one of the things that you need to do and i would i would say is probably the most important is to go to your local bow shop or your local archery range or something and kind of find a mentor find someone who who will say oh, I've got some of this old gear that you can just have, or I've got some of this, this stuff like, oh, don't buy one of those. I've, I've got one of these and someone who wants to really take you out there and help you and show you, um, what like you actually need versus what marketing says that you do. Right. All the stuff. I love that. No, I think that's a great tip is
0: yeah. Find somebody. So there are, yeah. Local shop, maybe, a whatever it is, like sportsman's where, you know, or something where you can find people. I, I guess that's the thing. Are there like around your area a lot like local bow hunting type shops or is it more like outdoor stores? Oh, no.
1: There's there's stores that are just... Just bow. Bow. Just yeah, bow. that's cool. And, you know, because one of the other things like with this podcast is my father-in-law used to work at one of our local uh, archery shops and then his nephew and, well, his... His nephew is my co-host on the podcast and his dad worked at the other archery shop (laughs) in, in town. And so like my co-host John, where he doesn't talk much and, but he's an archery nerd. So like we have our own, um, a bow shot, a bow, uh, range. We have archery range, a bowman's club that we shoot all year round. So in the winter time, we do winter leagues um, and we shoot indoors. Um, But it's got a bow press. It's got all this stuff. And John tunes all of our bows. Um, He builds the strings from scratch. He does all the, everything. He builds the arrows, does all that. But like my father-in-law, like I bought a new bow, like, and the first brand new bow that I ever bought was in 2003. And, you know, I didn't ha- have any idea of, like, what was going on. I shot old mismatched arrows and, you know, whatever was on sale and yep. all this stuff. Sure. And these guys are, you know, what we were doing was was paper tuning to make sure we had good flight. But at the time, I didn't know what that was. I wasn't familiar with any of that stuff. But we took newspaper and put a target behind it and shot it through the doorway going out of the garage And we've looked at where the knock, where how the tears were through the paper and all that stuff. So, like, at a good bow shop, that's what they'll do. You know, when you buy a new bow, you don't just pick one up off the shelf and then, you know, take it home and figure it out. They may have you do that, but they'll set it up for you, make sure everything is square, make sure everything is level. And then they'll tell you to take it home and shoot it. But, like, after you shoot it, you know, five hundred times they'll say come back because the string's going to stretch and oh, all right. this stuff. Yeah, and, like a guitar, yeah. Yep, and and then so they they retune it. But there's, I mean, rather than just going to buying one off the shelf or or whatever, like that's how a bow shop is like a specialty. That's huge. I love that.
0: Yeah, that's huge, and that's just like the fly shops, right? And I mean, the same thing is that there's these local, and it's the backbone really of the fly fishing, you know, industry. Is that you got these cool local places? Everybody knows that if you want to, you know, if you're going to a new place, find out your local fly shop, talk to them. So that's a great tip. And I just kind of search as well. I mean, there's all sorts of archery, uh, shooting, you know, ranges and all sorts of stuff around where I am. So I, I would imagine anywhere you're in, any place where there's hunting, you're going to find those. So, so that's the first step. And so you've got the bow, getting the right bow, and you know everything involved there. Then there's also the hunting, right? I mean, which is another piece of it. What is that? Let, let's say, so you're in there, you, you've worked on your bow, you've worked on your, you know, you your, you could hit that pie plate and uh, and now you're ready to go out. What's the next step to actually getting out in the field? And, you know what I mean? How does that differ from, say, rifle hunting?
1: Well, for me and here in Michigan, um, I would say safety. Um, yeah. Because you don't right. have, you know, 600,000 guys with guns. I mean, I think that's what the Michigan number of, rifle tags is six hundred thousand. yeah um like i don't think we're the most pressured state anymore um because like states like new jersey and rhode island because they don't have as many um acres you know they don't but they have a high population um so the density is pretty pretty high but like michigan and pa are some of the uh most pressured uh whitetail states And so when you go out and you're going to go on public land somewhere, you know, in, it gets light and there's orange, literally every direction that you look and bullets are flying and all this stuff. Um, You know, that's the main difference between bow hunting and rifle hunting to me. Yeah. How do you get away from that? You just
0: find your spot. You walk further than people
1: yeah i mean you can do that uh or you just don't rifle hunt and you just say i'm just gonna bow hunt. oh, oh it's a
0: different season yeah you're you going before right totally
1: yeah so yep. so that's in, in one of the things about uh archery season and i don't know if it's everywhere but um i think generally speaking it is, is that's a longer season so you have more time yeah to uh spend in the woods more right. time to kind of figure it out that's right m- more time to make mistakes right Today's episode is sponsored by
0: Range Meal Bars, made by a small team of passionate outdoor enthusiasts. The Range team only uses the highest quality gluten-free ingredients, and they know they want to fuel your body with the right stuff. We did a recent episode where we talked about backpacking and packing your pack and getting ready for a, might be a hike into a high mountain lake, and we talked about the power of food and getting the right food in your pack and how important that is to shaving off a weight and this bar packs a punch with 700 calories this is a super dense bar tastes good and uh, and it's exactly what uh, we were talking about in that episode it's so you can pretty much throw one bar in there if you had to to be honest this thing would probably make you through a couple of meals i eat these things whenever i need to and usually one chunk of this one bite will keep me going for quite a while so it's quite a bit different now that i've been snacking on these for a while Definitely than pretty much all the other meal bars because of the caloric intake. And this is important when you're out there for safety or on the water or just staying uh, from from that, keeping that uh, stomach from growling. Like I said, Range Bar is small enough to fit in your hand and slides easily into your pocket of your vest or sling pack, anything you need. They currently have two flavors. Uh, One is chocolate coffee and the other is molasses ginger sea salt. You can check out Range right now at wetflyswing.com slash range. R-A-N-G-E, range meal bars. You won't go back to the normal bar. Okay, back to the show. It seems like that's the one thing with the bow is that it's like, it's always been that, you know, rifle was always there. And it seems like over the last whatever period of time, bow hunting has become so popular that now it's almost, do you feel that, that almost like there's as many bow hunters and now that's actually getting really crowded or is that, is that the case up there as well?
1: Yeah, I mean, to a degree, there's a couple of factors in that. One is that um, in a lot of places, crossbows have become oh wow legal and and normal um, where they used to be just for um, disabled people oh. or you used to have a special permit, you have something gotcha. like that.
0: So, so why would a crossbow be the, uh, I mean, that's an advantage, having a crossbow over just a regular uh, compound bow?
1: Well, if you think about it, And it's, it's not true, but unfortunately I would say that it's, it's what the mindset is, is that a crossbow is like a gun and that people think because it's got a scope on it, you don't have to shoot it all the time. You don't have to be necessarily proficient with it. You just have to sight it in and then leave it in the case and you can pull it out a week before the season (laughs) and then it's good to go. Good to go. Right. And then you look at like, like a Raven crossbow, like, the thing's like $3,500, but, you know, they've got videos where they're shooting balloons or, like, targets at 100 yards. So now you've got people who they just want to go out, they're going to shoot, you know, this bow will shoot 100 yards just like my shotgun will. And now I'm going to do that, where before they used to have to be good. You know, you get cold, oh, yeah. it's tough to pull your bow back. Oh, right. um, You yeah, know, gotcha. yep. all of these things, now you just put it out you got you already have a gun rest maybe you already have a pop-up line so now instead of only hunting the two weeks or whatever you get to hunt with your gun now you're like well i got this crossbow it's just like a gun um and that's the misconception right but that's that's where the the mindset is yeah that's right
0: gotcha make it easy The easy button
1: yeah. And I think that that's brought a lot of guys, like maybe guys that used like older guys who used to hunt with a vertical bow and now they're like, okay, well I can't do that anymore. But a crossbow gets me back out in the woods. Um, it's good for, for kids who, you know, maybe can't pull back a weight, draw weight of a bow that would mm. be lethal or, you know, would be ethical. Um, you know, it's, it's, a It's a double-edged sword, but I think another thing too is with all of the, um, the mapping apps, you know, when you used to be afraid to venture into that swamp or you used to have to know how to use a compass or you used to have to, um, you know, know how to use, you know, a trail, you know, have a trail go in there ahead of time. Like now it's nothing for, for us to go in and you look at something like I was just down in, when I was in Ohio, you know, we went down there and scouted in February, late February, early March. But like we went to other spots where we'd never seen, but you look at it on your phone. You're like, okay, well I'm going to go down there and you go down there and wander around. And then you're like, okay, well uh, that's the way we got to go back, you know? Yeah. So to go into a spot blind where it used to be maybe a bit more, uh, you'd have more trepidation. You'd be more, uh, cautious about doing, you might've been scared of getting lost or scared of the dark or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um now it's it's not like that. So no, I think that no that now it's opened up a lot more uh property, a lot more areas. So you have to, you know, th- there's a lot more hunters hunting good spots. And then, you know, with with podcasts and all the information, you know, yeah. um the hunting public, you know, Dan Infall, like all of these guys on YouTube um are doing a great job at educating people on kind of like how to get on these deer. And, and I'm not saying like these people, I fall into that category too. I've learned so much just by doing the podcast and, you know, it's a, you know, you're the sum of the five people you spend the most time around. Well, you can't talk every week for hours on end to high level deer hunters and not pick up and apply that. Right. Yeah. So exactly.
0: Yeah. You got it. You got it. That's, that's cool. So well, so, so that's it. So you, you've got all this knowledge. And, and I mean, I guess maybe that is one of the challenges. You've got all this knowledge and now you need to implement it, especially if you're new. So you, I think you're, you're going to the, like for a new person, like simplifying it, right? So go talk to somebody, talk to them about what bow to get. They let them help you. But, and then once you get out there, do your research, find a spot that you think is good, grab your on or whatever mapping thing, and then head out into the public land, say, for example, what is it when you get out hunting? I mean, what do you do before, once you know kind of where you're hunting, what are you doing to prepare? What would you tell somebody to get ready for that trip?
1: Well, so I can give you a, a perfect example. It's like, so we have a really big Patreon community and I just threw out there, Hey, we're going to do a Patreon deer camp this year. And, uh, public land up by Stealthcraft up, up in Baldwin Mm, um, area. And I'd never hunted up there before. Um, but I have some property where we camp and there was, there's like 50,000 acres of public land. And we had guys come from Rhode Island, New York, um, Illinois, Iowa, had a guy drive up from Texas. So these guys obviously had never been on the ground, you know, so they didn't have any idea of like what it looked like. Um, And then we had, you know, obviously guys from the area and and closer, you know, all around Michigan. But so we all ended up there and we had a big uh, topo map printed off. And then everybody had done their e-scouting but one of the most valuable things was, you know, we drove around and looked at tracks crossing deer tracks, crossing the two tracks, um, looked for deer in the road, in the fields, um, to people where they were seeing deer and then looked for food sources and nine times out of 10, where those tracks were crossing the road were leading to acorns. Or uh, Mm -hmm. other, you know, places where the deer, like where there was a bedding area or something like that. And so you can really simplify it by doing that. And and so I feel like anybody who hunts and I I would imagine in the, in the fishing world, like you can't drive by a stream by saying like, look at that riffle over there. I bet you there's a big hole right there. Like, I know that I want to throw a line in there right yeah yeah and and that's the way that it is with with deer hunting and bow hunting but like if if you're looking at it from a brand new guy's perspective like you have to have realistic expectations so the expectations should be like don't forget your arrows like don't make any noise um getting in there Get in clean like actually see a deer or find some deer sign where, you know, that's one of the things that I really appreciate about it. Even like where I'm at in hunting is like, now it's like, you look at a place on the map, you have never been there before in your life. You walk in there and you find deer sign like you. So you've just validated that. Like, Hey, I can look at a map and I can see that there are deer where I thought there would be deer. And then that goes one further when you see them in the woods, right? You're like, I picked this spot and you know what? There was a deer there and, and all of these are little like confidence builders. So you can't go out there and be like, okay, I'm going to never have done this before. And I'm going to kill a record book buck. Yeah. You know, yeah. you have to look at it as like, everything has to be like a gradual win, Right. Of like, I right. just got out here. I hunted a spot all by myself. I didn't get lost. I got back yeah. to the truck, you know. Um, That's it. Everything has to be in perspective. But, you know, getting that first deer in bow range and getting busted or getting or, or missing or whatever is like, you got that opportunity. You were in bow range. You were You were right there. It just didn't work out. I mean, like today, I had a buck that I would have killed every single day. Yeah. 150 yards. And he was going back and forth, back and forth, looking for these hot does. And I passed the six point. I had a doe fawn behind me. There was like three other bucks out in this field chasing around. And I got busted by a doe doing exactly what I wanted him to do, but I was wanted her to do, but I was watching these bucks. And I think that kind of like blew my hunt, but man, it was a great morning. I mean, it didn't work out. I had a chance to kill a deer. It just wasn't, you know, what I was really looking for, but it was such a fun hunt and I'm out there and I'm learning, I'm learning, I'm watching these deer, I'm interacting with these deer and I'm using that for my next hunt, my next encounter. And even if it's a deer that you're not going to kill or like, it's a deer that's in the way, like figuring out like what you can get away with, like how much movement can I do? How much, you know, you don't want to have to be learning that when there's you got the big buck in front of yeah. you right, and you 've never you 've never been in that situation before, yeah you know, so all of those failures are learning, yeah, you got to get out and do it, and that's the uh
0: that's the cool picture you're painting it's like, yeah, i mean you uh it's hunting, i mean that's what I think everybody loves about hunting is that it 's not about the killing it 's about getting out there, and yeah, sure if you get an opportunity you get a a great animal that's amazing, but i mean i've had all sorts of great we had one this year, we hunted and you know, didn't get an animal, same thing. And it was like, wow, that was really cool. You know what I mean? We had a good hunt on an animal. It seems like, do you feel like that's the mentality of most people in in the neck of the woods that are are bow hunters versus say rifle hunters?
1: Do you think that's like a different mindset? I think bow hunting is like a completely different mindset. And like, you have to understand like at this point right now, like where we're at, like I kind of only surround myself with people that just bow hunt or that are like serious about it, like you might be, you can be a serious bow hunter and then rifle hunt. Also, you can be a serious hunter, but I feel like guys that are really good at hunting, like either they're waiting for a really large buck or they'll be tagged out before rifle season comes along. Um, Just because that's where the, the passion is, is like being in the woods. Like right now, this week is like the best week of the entire year here in Michigan to be in the woods, to be out hunting. And this is where the bucks are making the mistakes. And this is where like, you see the like TV type stuff where, you know, like I said, I saw three or four different bucks chasing around does out in this field, you know, grunting and putting on a show. And I didn't get to see them like right underneath me or whatever. Um, but I did get to see that on Monday. I mean, they. I got the exact same experience, or Tuesday. Tuesday morning, I got the exact same experience. So it's like, it was just, you know, small bucks. You're just waiting for that one. But I, I think that that's the main difference is that it's so, I think it's like so much more intimate. I guess you can like replay it in your mind or, or flip it around and say like, Every deer that I see while I'm bow hunting, I could kill with a rifle. Yeah, right. Easy. But it doesn't go the other way. I mean, last year I, w- I went to to Colorado on a drop camp for elk. Um, and I brought my bow. It was first rifle. And I told the guys in camp, I said, I'm going to hunt with this bow all week. And the last day I'm going to take one of your rifles and kill a bull. And that's exactly what I did when I shot this bullet 300 yards or 270 yards or something with a rifle that I'd never even shot before that I'd never even held. And uh, until that morning and to do that with a bow is impossible, you know, pretty much. So like if you want to talk about like the differences or like what, like how do you get hooked on it? Like, yeah, that's it. That's why. Cause I could take someone else's rifle and just go out there and do it and say, Oh, look how easy it is. But with a bow, you know, you can have a deer, you can be at full draw ready to hit the button on the release. And that hot doe comes by and he, that <laughs> bucks out of your life forever. Right. That was your one instance and your heart rates up and you're like, you know, head in your hands, but you wouldn't trade it for that 300 yard shot on the yep. bull.
0: Right. That's just a it's a whole other level of, yeah, connecting our connection. What's the, so back to uh, like the season, when does that start up there for bow hunting? When does the season typically start?
1: Uh, in Michigan, it's October 1st, and then um, it goes to November 14th, is when uh, November 15th is when our rifle season starts. Okay. That goes until December 1st, and then bow opens up with some mixed in muzzle odor, but you can hunt with either. Oh, okay. um, if it's if it's muzzleloader season but bow then goes from december 1st until january 1st so oh, i see you know you, so you get, two you get a ton you get you get you basically get yeah For you get rifle. another month so you yeah. get basic yeah but you basically get you know two months to bow hunt yeah you get
0: a ton and you're saying the it's better the uh like right now versus say early october
1: um so it's it's a Double-edged sword. Like, if, if you know what you're doing or you've put in, you're have put you putting in the work, the deer early season are on their summer pattern. So there's going to be groups of bucks together. They're going to be going from bed to food and food to bed. They're going to be pretty lackadaisical. They don't have any pressure. Their testosterone is not up, so they're not fighting each other. They're not looking for does. They're not chasing. But right now the does are in heat. And all these bucks are just trying to breed these does. So anything can happen at any point. Oh, right. (laughs) Any hour
0: of the day right now. God. That's crazy. That's the difference is, yeah, early on you've got the animals just kind of cruising, you know, just mm-hmm. like whatever, frolicking. And now you've got mm-hmm. bucks that are, they're, they're trying to mate, they're fired up, they're just, they're all jacked up. And, yeah, and then, and so it seems like that that one would be the one that would be a lot more, yeah, engaging and kind of crazy. That's the hunt that would be fun is, like, right now when they're all jacked up.
1: Well, so if, if you're familiar with um, elk hunting, right? So, like, yeah. early elk is, like, you're just looking for elk that are, like... Watering or down in their feeding, but like once they start bugling and they start answering the calls and they start fighting, you know, that's when it gets exciting. You know, that's when they get quote unquote easier to kill, right? So, yeah, all right. That's, that's kind of where we're at right now with, with the whitetail honey. With the tail. What, and when
0: does typically with the rut, when does that typically start?
1: Um, so. Usually around Halloween is when it starts to pick up, but like the first week and like the first full week in November, um, is good. Like they, they say that peak rut is usually in Michigan around the opener of our gun season, which is that November Mm. 15th. Mm -hmm. But I would say my experience has been like the, around the eighth, 10th, right in there. Yeah.
0: Okay. So that's it. And yeah, I think, you know, today I just wanted to kind of do a a primer, you know, to kind of uh, get people thinking, really, there's, there is a lot. I mean, I think I like the way you're talking though. You can simplify it. You know, you don't have to buy everything kind of similar to fly fishing, right? People tend to look at fly fishing and like, oh my God, all this stuff. Right. But it's really not that. I mean, go get a rod pretty, you know, cheaply and just get out there and start fishing. Right. And bow hunting is the same. I mean, you got to practice you're, 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 you know, shooting a bow. You can't just go out there and do it. So that's a big thing people can get started on right now. And then the hunting is another piece of it. Right. But, um, but you can, you know, it's all probably, if you, somebody's brand new, never done this before, what, what could they expect? You know, um, how far, I guess one season get out there and start going for it. You never know what you're going to see. It's hunting. Right. But until they get to a point where they're at some, the next level, how, how long does that take? How long did it take you? To feel like you were kind of more expert level versus you know novice. <laughs> well, I'm I'm not expert <laughs> level at all. Yeah, right. Your, 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 yeah, you're not there yet. You're still the what was the title again? The title. The, of the world's show. worst <laughs> bowler. Yeah. Exactly.
1: But uh but no, I think I think the thing is is like to manage your expectations of like to shoot the first thing that walks by. I mean, get that experience if you've never you know, had to blood trail an animal, if you've never had to, I mean, if, you, if you've if you never had to to gut an animal, if you've never had to, you know, drag one out of the woods, um, all of these things are invaluable experiences. And the adrenaline dump that you get after you release the shot and you hit the animal and you're like, I didn't see God. it go down. Like, right. how did I, you know, what's going on? Like, oh my gosh, what's, you know, all of those things are like, again, like completely invaluable. There's so much more to every hunt than the grip and grin and, you know, yeah. the, the picture with the back straps of like, yep. you know, tell me how old he was. Like all of that is, yeah, you know, once you release the arrow, like kind of like the hunts over, you know, like my buddy and I were having this conversation <laughs> the other day is like, you know, I, I shot a doe earlier this year. And so I've got meat in the freezer. I passed on, I don't know. I've passed on a dozen bucks this year already, probably. Hmm. And once you are tagged out or once you don't have any more tags, like you get, you don't get to hunt anymore. All right. So it's like, it's like you have to be okay with like wherever your expectations are, but man, shoot that first stupid spike that walks by or shoot, shoot that little doe. Um, and get that experience you know my father in law he says you know you just got to get a couple under your belt so you got to get in the habit of of shooting deer and understand that like it's hard <laughs> like it's not as easy as everybody online makes it look no and everybody makes bad shots and you know mm-hmm. everybody you know messes up and all these things and you you like kind of have to experience that and you don't want to experience that on the biggest buck of your life. And I think one of the things I had a conversation with Zach from the hunting public and you know, those guys shoot a lot of deer and they do it so much that it it makes it look like super easy. And they're showing you like the highlights and they, they show you some low lights too, but they don't show you all the hunts where they don't see anything. And so you think it's just nonstop action, but The hardest thing is like, um, recovering from making a bad shot. Like if you miss a deer, like let's say that you were a new hunter, you, everything goes perfectly and you miss, you know, what would have been your first deer with the bow or you wound a deer or whatever, like mentally that's terrible to, to, to get back out there and hunt and you're up there and you're like, you're telling yourself to a degree, like don't mess this up when you're trying to take that next shot, instead of saying like, you know, follow your process, make a good yeah. shot. Like, like it's just, you know, it, like clockwork, like you're just like a, an assassin. Right. Yeah. I mean, cause that's what you are. You're just sitting yeah. in a tree waiting, for, waiting to kill the, something that not, you know, unknowingly walks by. Yep. Um, but you're saying, oh, man, don't mess this up or, oh, instead of focusing on executing all the things that you that you do. And, and and mentally, that's one of the most difficult things to overcome. So you have to go out there every time with confidence and saying, I can do this. You know, you make a bad shot. You go home, make sure all of your equipment is good. You, you make sure that everything's on, that there wasn't a problem with the equipment. And then you go out there and you, you know, maybe you need to shoot the first thing that comes by just to, you know, be like okay i can do this i'm i'm back after it like right. for for new people when you go into that when you ask about like those expectations or what that is is like man if you're if you're not failing you're not trying right
0: <laughs> today's episode is sponsored by tokens fly shop tokens fly shop provides superior quality products at a great price they have also a great YouTube channel that you can check out right now with uh, new fly tying tutorials each week. Togans also has you cover if you're looking for unique in-house products, and they also support uh, many, many of the great brands out there that you know and trust. It's been fun connecting with Justin and the family uh, over the years now, and it's it's been really cool. Great local fly shop. Togans is also offering their fly tying box where they send out materials at a regular cadence where you don't even have to think of it, you just open the mailbox and there's your Togans pack. And I've recently made an order through Togans and the experience is always perfect. They've got you covered if you have ever have questions or need any help, whether that's a YouTube tutorial or connecting with them uh, personally. Since 2005, Togans has been over-delivering on customer service and it's time for you to check out uh, Togans Buzz for yourself. You can head over to wetflyswing.com Togans right now to check out their diverse selection of products today you support this podcast by clicking through that link to togens online that's togens t-o-g-e-n-s okay back to the show what's that when you shoot an animal how how often what's that look like typically when you you know with a with a bow what is that animal typically doing i mean are you following that blood trail quite often or what's that look like
1: you know, every, everyone is different. It all depends on shot placement, like how, the size of the animal. I mean, I shot the la- the deer I shot this year went 80 yards and died. 80 yards.
0: Um, so it just, you, you went over there, you just follow the blood trail and you go around and right there. It's just laying there. And that's pretty, that's typically yeah. in a perfect world. That's, that's how it works.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you think about all the deer that you've seen um, that are running around on three legs or that have been hit by a car and, or, or when they, you know, that you see these uh, videos of these bucks that are just like savagely fighting each other and they only have one eye and half of their antlers broke off, you know, they're extremely resilient animals. So if you make a bad shot that doesn't, um, like, huh. you could get one lung, there's areas where you can shoot them, and you'll abs- you'll hit absolutely nothing. And it looks like a perfect shot, but if All you shoot right. them just a little bit high, when they're exhaling, it'll go right over top of their lungs. and yeah. Like, it's essentially God. just like a flesh wound. Um, Crazy. So, it's really difficult to say, like, this is what happens. But, like, if you make a double lung shot or a heart shot or something like that, I mean, these deer are going you know a hundred yards or so yeah and then then they're huh. dead
0: um this may be kind of a stupid question but um you know like the rifle right uh, you shoot mm-hmm. an animal with a bullet and uh you know same thing you know obviously you could miss but or, or not hit the right spot but but like why the bow why is the bow not uh, it doesn't have the, i guess that's not the impact right it doesn't have the drop why does it not drop like you will drop an, an animal sometimes with a rifle
1: so it's the amount of energy being transferred. I mean. Yeah, that's it. When you look at like foot pounds of energy, but then you look at like that wound channel and that shock that happens when that yeah. bullet essentially stops, you know, that's why. Oh, right. Um. You know, they make the bullets the way they do so that they mushroom out and create that giant wound channel. But yeah. what that does is that's transferring that energy. I mean, that energy has to, I mean, that bullet's traveling, you know, what? 2000. You know couple thousand feet a second yeah. and it's basically has to transfer that energy backwards into that uh, to, to deform that bullet and <laughs> that sudden stop is like being hit by a car right but then it's creating a, this giant wound channel where it's messing up all of the tissue and disrupting and basically giving a concussion all right, uh, to yeah. to every single vital organ in Jeez. that in that range, you know, you know, think about when you see those bullets hitting that ballistic gel and the amount of movement that it has in that energy transfer to stop it. That's what's happening to those, yeah. those animals with a bullet. Now an arrow, what you're doing is you're trying to slice through and cut and they die from blood loss, not from yeah. trauma.
0: Right. Right. That's it. Yeah, that's exactly it. So that's why typically, yeah, the animal drops. Hopefully you get a good shot, it drops in 80 yards or whatever. But sometimes, I mean, what percentage, again, it's, it comes to skill, but you do get a chunk of uh, animals out there that, you know, keep going and maybe the, and maybe mm-hmm. live on, right? Do, do you find that if an animal's shot, you, you know, probably don't know those numbers, but do you see that a lot where you think those animals are surviving once they get shot? Yeah, I mean,
1: so I, I, sh- I shot one bad um, last year and uh just uh the angle this deer was like going up this hill, and I didn't take that into account, so I kind of like shot underneath everything that I needed to um brought in a tracking dog uh we tracked the deer for you know like three quarters of a mile or so, and then the dog just lost it at that point. Well, I saw that buck on my camera, uh, like two months later, still alive. So that, oh, wow. you know, you, you, you hate to wound these animals, but like I said, they're extremely resilient. And then, um, I'm fairly certain that I've seen that deer this year, um, uh, as well, just based on the, the rack and what he would look like this year, the area that he was in. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that, that certainly huh. happens, but like, um, there's a, man, it, if you Google his name, he'll, he'll show up. But, but John Eberhardt is this Michigan hunter. He is a satin guy. He's a saddle mm-hmm. hunter. Is that Rehart? Rehart? Eberhardt. Eberhart. Gotcha. Yep. He, uh, he loves to talk about himself, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. so, so there, he's written a whole bunch of books on bow hunting and I've met John a whole bunch of times. He's a great guy, but yeah, he's killed like. I don't know. We'll just say that it's like 40 bucks in Michigan over a hundred inches. That's a Michigan record book book. Mm -hmm. And like, I think there was only like four or five of them that didn't have some other sort of wound or projectile in it. No kidding. So jeez. So that just tells you like, again, like how resilient these deer are and like any deer processor you go to has a, a whole wall of bones full of, Broadheads and things yeah, that really. they yep. found in them, yeah. So, yeah, like I said, it it's unfortunate, but it, and that kind of comes with back to that that practice, that proficiency, that knowing your equipment, and you know the other side of that is the the crossbows, thinking that they're guns and they're going to shoot them out to a hundred yards because the commercial says they can, and and right. and stuff like that. But you know, it, it is what it is. I mean. You've probably caught fish that had hooks in them or hooks in their back or all sorts of things. So yeah, it's an unfortunate part of the game, and we have to do everything as hunters to do our due diligence to make sure that when we shoot these deer or these animals, whatever they are, that we're trying to kill them in the most efficient manner. Yeah,
0: that's right. Yeah, I think that's the key point is that... Yeah. You don't take a bad shot if, you know, you could help it. And i we've had, we've done a few hunting episodes where that's been some of the, the feedback, right. Is like, Hey, you don't have to take that shot. You know, if, if it's not right, you know, and like you said, you know, you got to keep hunting. So it's, I mean, it's better to, yeah, better maybe wait instead of taking a bad shot and then you lose the animal. Um, but, uh, this is cool. Well, I want to touch just quickly on like resources just for people, cause we've kind of hit the surface of, you know, bow hunting really today and just talked a little bit generally, but, you know, your podcast is one good resource, so talk about that a little bit. What do you have there? Like, if somebody hasn't listened to it before, describe the kind of the podcast and what people could expect if they go listen to some of your back catalog.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, we're we're just regular guys with a passion for archery and bow hunting, um, but we're always trying to improve, and so we try and bring on the best possible guests that we can to put the information out there to... Like take that next step as a hunter, like whether it's killing your first deer with a bow, killing your first buck with a bow, killing your first record book buck, or, you know, killing one specific buck and tracking down these deer. We talked to guys that, you know, specialize in all that stuff. Um, But also like from the archery side, like about equipment, bow tuning, like how to be proficient, like kind of what to do, what not to do. Um, and all of that mixed in with our own antics and hijinks, you know, one of the things when you start a podcast and especially like if you're the world's worst bow hunter and nobody knows who you are is you, you have to impart yourself in there and, and be personable and be relatable. And like, we love to interact with the listeners and have people um, answer questions specifically or have a guest on and say, Hey, we're going to have this guest on like, what questions do you have? And and kind of go from from that perspective, but again, it's trying to address the question from the ground up. Whether you're brand new to hunting and you don't know what a deer track looks like, to you've got a whole basement full of uh, giant deer on every wall, every surface. Uh, we try to make it so that everybody can get something out of the episode. Gotcha. So it's for
0: so you can go back right now. So if it's somebody new what would you recommend? They go back and start at the, the beginning and just sort of just pick out some episodes or do you have a, a couple that you'd recommend for just kind of digging more into the intro to it?
1: Oh, I don't know. I mean, that's a hard thing to say. Cause think about like your first episode, it probably sounded terrible and you cringe, like listening right. to it. So
0: well, I get the same so. questions. Sometimes I'll get the beginner fly fisherman on and I'll, the same thing. It is a tough one to answer because you're like, well, you got a lot. I try to do episodes. Like I think you do too. Occasionally where it's like, okay, we're going to do a intro episode. Just so I can have some of those, and I can direct people. But yeah, it's it's it is a hard question to answer.
1: Yeah, I would say any podcast that has um, Zach from the Hunting Public, um, okay. Jake Bush, um, Dan Infall is good. But like, so when you get into some of these guys, like they don't understand a question about what does a deer track look like. You know, they don't. Um, I, actually, I would say Jason Sam Koviak is probably some of the best whitetail content out there we've had done a couple episodes with him um but he he's a a longbow hunter um and for longbow guys they take it or, or traditional bow hunters in general you know instead of killing a deer at 20 to 40 yards they're like five to 20 yards so they have to get deer that much closer so they have to be that much more specific in where they set up and how they set up um and the information that jason has is incredible so i would i would take a look at that one
0: okay perfect
1: yeah we'll put some links out to to those resources
0: in the show notes and and so is a whitetail out there i'm not even like what the deer species is is there is that the focus for everybody out in your neck of the woods
1: Um, yeah, I mean, so we do a lot of turkey hunting as well and, uh, we've been out elk hunting. I think we, think John and I have both went out like three times. I think my father-in-law has been out four times for elk. Uh Um,
0: where do you go for elk? Like what's the, where do you have to go for elk the closest?
1: Well, so the first year we went to Idaho and then, uh, been to Colorado the last couple of times. John was in Montana. Okay. So. That's it. Yeah yeah Michigan has an elk population. oh it does I was, I was
0: thinking, yeah, you don't find too many elk on the other side of the the Rockies or whatever,
1: but it's like a once in a lifetime tag. I think they give out like maybe like a hundred tags a year or something. oh yeah, gotcha okay, but
0: but yeah, you do some other stuff with the bow turkey and there's other other species you're going for,
1: yeah, yeah, I mean, so for us, like bow hunting is our main focus um the fact that i killed that elk with a rifle was like uh a tisk tisk uh, uh from from yeah. from some of the
0: did you get some feedback from people like what are you doing with the rifle
1: yeah a little bit yeah. um and then but then i promptly went home and i was hunting with my daughter and i missed two uh white-tailed deer with my rifle uh with my rifle <laughs> uh yeah. inside of a 100 yards so um yeah, it was it, it was very it was very humbling, um, to say the least.
0: Do you find people? It seems like the analogy between fly fishing, conventional fishing, bow hunting, rifle hunting is kind of similar. You know what I mean? And it, it, even people, I think, rightfully, wrongfully, so probably too. I think people, fly fishing always has this uppity thing, or used to have this uppity thing, like, "Hey, you're a fly fisherman, rich white guy, or whatever." That's changed a lot now, right? Because there's a lot of people just fly fishing for everything. Um, but do you see the thing with bow hunting? Is that kind of the same thing that people are more, it's the elite? Do you, do you see that mentality or is it more like it's for everybody, whoever wants to do it?
1: Um, it's kind of like for whoever wants to do it, but there's definitely like a, a side eye and it kind of goes like this, like shot up with a rifle. Okay. And then you look at the guy and you say, okay. And then, uh, shout out with a crossbow is like, oh, whatever. And then yeah. like, shot it with a bow. Was it on public land or private land? Oh, right. Like, oh, okay. And then the guy shoots it with like a long bow or recurve. And you're like, right. Okay. That's different. But it's like, it doesn't matter, you know, unless yeah. you like carved your own self bow, chewed the sinew, made your own string, <laughs> you know, there's yeah. always somebody that's always doing somebody it that harder be, yeah. than right. you. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. you know, and that's the thing. And especially for new guys, like I wouldn't get caught up in. Any of that. I want to get yeah. caught up in like the brand. You know, where we're at now is like a flagship bow is like just a bare bow is like between like $1,300 and $2,000. Oh, wow. No kidding for just a basic bow. No, 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 for like a flagship. Oh, nice, yeah, yeah, nice. For just a yeah. bow, like the the high end, highest gotcha. end bow. And guys are buying the new one every single year, thinking that they need a new bow uh, because of new technology, because of marketing, because social media. Um, but like, guys are still killing deer with bows from the '90s, and they're still killing them with recurves and long bows and you know mismatched arrows and there's a guy in a holler somewhere in West Virginia killing bigger bucks than I've ever seen with a bow from a garage sale so like <laughs> yeah. don't don't get That's caught awesome. up in like all of that stuff and you know there's this big Thing where, you know, we're all hunters, we need to all band together. And there's a lot of hunter infighting from just that. Like, oh, it's a crossbow guy. Oh, it's a yeah, rifle. Oh, right. muzzle loader. It's like, yep. go out, find someone who you can hunt with and have fun. Exactly. Enjoy, laugh at your mistakes, have fun, enjoy the time spent outdoors and, you know, kill, kill what makes you happy.
0: I totally agree. Yeah. I think the same thing with fishing is like, yeah, forget about, you know, it's just go have fun you know, have, get outdoors and have, have a good time, you know, you know, it's, that's mainly what it's about. So cool. Adam, well, this is uh, this has been fun. I think we'll kind of leave it there for now and I'll, I'll direct everybody out to uh, the uh, bow hunter chronicles uh, podcast and then uh, we can d- dig into it. And how many, like you guys do, how many episodes do you have there and how many, what's your free? Cause are you
1: coming out with just like uh, one a week or what, what are you doing over there? Yeah, we're weekly. I think there's one, the next one that I'll put out, um it's going to be like 260 something 270 something something like that do one a week and and the I've and
0: they're pretty a lot of the ones you do are a lot. do you have like a set it seems like you know you're not just sticking to like an hour i mean sometimes you have some longer episodes what what's your what's that look like do you just kind of let the conversation flow
1: well when we first started we used to say like okay 45 minutes to an hour um but when we first started we weren't very good at it so It wasn't, it was like a lot of first date type conversation and a lot of awkward, like back and forth. And then it seemed like just about the time the conversation got good, we'd be like, oh, well, it's an hour and we're going to wrap this up. So like now, um, we just kind of let them flow and shoot for around an hour, but it always seems like when we're getting ready to wrap up or whatever, then we start onto a new rabbit hole and.
0: That's right. That's the same thing right now. So, like I, I have the same thing. Is that sometimes my episodes go, you know, up to two hours, and it's the same thing because, you know, I mean, I would love to chat with you for another hour or two, but uh, you know, you kind of have to respect the time and all that. But I did have one one question on. I did want to touch base on the the podcast equipment uh, just before we get out of here. So we, I always try to love people helping people get into the podcasting space. Um, what is your your tech there? How do you do? I mean, right now we're doing a unique way of recording this because we're both podcasters. But what's
1: your typical when you have a remote guest? How do you do it? So most of the time I do Zoom um, just because I like to repurpose some of the content uh, for video. Um, and I also do a webinar series. So I have all the stuff set up. So it's okay. super easy. But um, I have the... Audio-Technica BPHS headsets. Okay. Um, and then I've used all sorts of different uh, recorders and everything. But honestly, the Zoom track P4 yep. is like the absolute best value in podcasting, bar none. And like I said, I was going to do this in my car. Uh, we, go, we go to shows. We travel around. I recorded an episode down in Ohio when we were hunting down there. Um you know, you can do you can do it on the phone like we are now. It seamlessly goes into your computer uh, yep. to set it up as an audio interface for Zoom. Um, I can do it. Uh, it's got four ports on there for uh, four of these headsets, which we have, and we just go mm-hmm. set it up and run. It runs off batteries. You can use external power, um, and all if you're a podcaster, audio nerd. It takes care of all the mix minus, so you don't have yeah. to figure out how to route the cords. Like, I had a Zoom H6, which is nice. an incredible piece of equipment. Yeah, a nice piece. But it's not as user-friendly. Now, this Podtrak P4 seems like a toy compared to the H6, yeah. but this thing, for the $200 or whatever it costs, is invaluable. Yeah. It is, yeah. The pot. I think that's the, the take home. The pot
0: track P four. I've got one as well. I've got all the devices, and I think that one was a game changer because yeah, you can get the same device. The Rodecaster Pro is the same. Does the same thing, but it's huge. I mean, the P four literally you could throw in your pocket, which is crazy, you know. And it's got all the so the settings right. You just plug and play almost. There's not really much you have to do. Maybe watch a tutorial to get going. So so that's good to hear. And you're doing. Uh, uh, and we're going to be taking that down to Ohio too, on the trip and uh, i haven't used that i think the headset that's a good little tip you got these headsets you and do those plug into the um xor it's just a normal like plug in yep. or how yeah
1: yeah they're expensive
0: but are they what do they cost for? 200 bucks a piece yeah yeah that's not cheap yeah because you can get a mic you know i mean yeah for sure uh, a nice microphone you can spend 2 300 bucks even more but you can get a really nice microphone for under 100 dollars too you know what i mean that's but the headset is cool because literally you got the, you got the head on your ear and you got the mic and then it plugs in. That's if you're on the road, that's a really nice thing to have instead of setting up a mic in front of somebody.
1: Well, and that's the thing is like, you got to understand my father-in-law just turned 70. So to try to get him to talk into yeah. a microphone consistently, yeah. like, and if you have a guest on like in person or like when you're at one of these shows and you got a lot of background noise right. and then you need space to set up, it's like here, just throw on this headset and yeah, that's you know, sweet. we'll, we'll just move it from, from your face and we'll go from there. And then they can talk with their hands. They can yep. pound on the table. They can do whatever That's they perfect. want to. And you don't got to worry about any of that. Perfect.
0: I, I think I've got another, uh, I, I might have a <laughs> $800 investment coming up here in the, cause that would be a good thing if we, we do more of these road road shows, you know what I mean? Like just making it easy. Um, Cool. All right, Adam, well, hey, thanks again for all the time today. I'll send everybody out, like we said, Bow Hunter Chronicles podcast, and uh, definitely the, I love the kind of the intro here. I'll, I'll have to decide on what the title is going to be to this one, but I think I have it already. So thanks for all your time today. Yeah, not a problem, man. Anytime. So there we go. Wetflyswing.com slash 389. 389. Uh, we'll probably get you some links over there. I know we're going to have a couple of videos to check out uh, Adam, what he has going there, and we'll, we'll do a little a little resource a uh, little bonus resources there in the uh, in the blog if you get a chance 389. So I'm not quite sure where we're heading next. We got uh, we're mixing it up this week with bow hunting uh, next week. I think we're probably gonna be back into some fishing but you never know if you have an idea for a show, if you want to uh, mix up uh, get in our mix, uh, send me an email Dave at wetflyswing.com and, uh, and let me know what you're thinking out there. If you've been enjoying uh, the diversity of topics, I'd love to hear from you. But we're going to get out of here. i got a bunch of stuff to do today. Before we get planning, uh, we're getting planned for this Steelhead trip. This is coming up right around the corner two weeks. Two weeks we're going to be heading up, uh, heading back to the Midwest. So I'm excited about that and hope that I'm going to see you out there. If you are out in the Midwest, definitely ping me. Let me know if you're anywhere around the Ohio area, uh, anywhere up in that that area. De- definitely let me know. I'd love to connect with you. Uh, in person if possible. All right. That's all I got. Uh, I am, uh, looking forward to some, some breaking, <laughs> some breaks in the clouds, uh, getting, uh, some nice weather coming here. So, uh, so I'm going to get out of here, but I hope you, I hope you are having a good, uh, good afternoon, a good evening or a good morning, wherever you are in the world. And I will talk to you soon.
1: Thanks for listening to the wet fly swing fly fishing show for notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.